Our first reading is taken from Isaiah um, chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Our second reading is from Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality and debauchery, nor in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with your Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Sorry, this is a little bit buzzy. If I'm, um, hopefully that will settle down as we go. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, I do pray that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, open up your word to us um, this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a fresh vision of you and a fresh vision of your will for our lives. Amen. I'm just going to move this slightly. At least a burglar isn't going to go off with it. It's <laughs> really heavy. <laughs> okay, so as we've been hearing, this season in the church's life is called Advent, um, and it's effectively the start of the church's year. So, so Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> and something we often do at the start of a new year um, is inevitably look back to the year that's gone. Um, I used to um, celebrate New Year's with some friends and we always have to, have to give a score to the previous year, which I really disliked doing, but <laughs> I don't know if anyone does that. And we also look forward to the year that is to come. 
And perhaps we have hopes and dreams for what the year might um, bring. Perhaps we have other expectations. Perhaps we have fears. And I'm sure I'm not the only one wondering um, what my heating bills are going to look like this year um, and putting on a couple of extra layers um, so I don't need to um, turn the radiators on. In fact, I've spoken with so many people recently who've said they haven't yet put the heating on and they've been wearing woolly hats indoors that <laughs> um, it's made me realise um, just how powerfully what we anticipate happening can affect our behaviour now. I think often we think of it the other way around, that habits are really hard to break, uh, and indeed they are. Accustomed behaviour is, is difficult to change but if we have a vision of the future that is strong enough, like the threat of uh, impending energy bills, it can lead to quite fundamental changes in our behavior. And so today, as we look at this lovely passage from Isaiah and this passage from Romans as well, uh, we're going to think about our vision for God's future and how that affects the way that we live now as we look um, to that vision. So in that passage from Isaiah, which Anne read for us, Isaiah presents a really powerful vision of the future. It's a, a wonderful prophetic poem, and um, you can read it in a, a similar form in Micah, in Micah 4. There's a very similar version of it. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. Many peoples will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. So it's a lovely, powerful vision of what he sees. In chapter one, Isaiah has been setting out... Um, a different sort of vision. He's been setting out a picture of a very rebellious and corrupt nation. This is how um, he judges Israel to be. But here, he's moving beyond that picture to a message of hope and restoration. So not only will Jerusalem be cleansed and judged and restored ultimately to what it's supposed to be, it will also be an example to the other nations around, and it will be a source of restoration to the other surrounding nations. And that's because Israel's God, the Lord, was not just the God of small Israel, but he was and is the only real God, the God of the whole world. And so in Isaiah's vision, the Lord is worshipped by all the peoples, I love this idea of them streaming up the mountain of the Lord. It's almost like the rivers are going backwards. They're streaming up the mountain. Um, and so the Lord is worshipped by all the peoples. His guidance is sought by them. And he, in turn, gives them his word and brings them his judgment and his peace. So there's a kind of reciprocal relationship envisaged between God and the people of all the nations where they worship God. He gives his word and settles their disputes. And there's this lovely line 
which is very famous, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And I always actually read this as being an injunction to us to be peacemakers. You know, this is what we've got to do. We've got to get our swords and make them into, into plows. In, you know, we've got to seek peace. Um, but as I read it again now, I think actually what it's saying is, as God settles the disputes, as God brings peace, they won't need their swords and their spears anymore. And so all the swords and the spears will be turned into uh, things that bring creati creative creativity, um, things that you can grow agriculture with. And I think as we think today of Ukraine, uh, you know, the, the, I can't remember what they call it, the, you know, the, it produces so much grain, so much oil, and it's prevented from doing so because of the war that Russia has inflicted upon us, upon it, rather. So if, if Russia were to stop the war, Ukraine would be able to pretty much literally turn their swords into plowshares, go back to producing grain and oil. And if we think of it like that, it brings the, the, the picture quite close to home. So that's um, Isaiah's very powerful vision of the future. And we don't know when he's talking about. He introduces this vision by saying, in the last days, blah, blah, blah. And essentially, that basically means in the future, He's not, being, he's not saying, you know, this is a particular end-time prophecy. This is just saying, in the future, in God's good time, this is the vision. Okay. And then, having set out this wonderful vision, Isaiah then says to his hearers, Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. In other words, you've heard this vision. Now live your lives in its light. So anticipating the international recognition of the Lord as God, anticipating him teaching and guiding the nations, anticipating him being the judge and the peace bringer among us all, anticipating all of that, how then will you live now? How then will you live now? Let us walk in the light of the world of the Lord. <coughs> My son's studying history at school at the moment, and he's studying um, the modern history of South Africa, uh, including the time of apartheid. And this week he had to read um, Nelson Mandela's statement um, at the opening of his defense case in 1964. He left it lying around, and of course I picked it up and <laughs> I was just reading it. And it's just, I mean, it's disturbing. Of course, it is disturbing to read of a terrible time of apartheid. Um, but it's also, it was also very fascinating to read. And Mandela finished his defense by saying this. During my lifetime, I have dedicated myself to this struggle of the African people. I fought against white domination and I fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve. But if it needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. 
Absolutely amazing. And of course, he really did give his life for this vision, although fortunately he was spared death um, in his case. But following his trial, he was sentenced to life imprisonment for conspiring to overthrow the state, and he ended up serving 27 years in prison. So his ideal of this democratic and free society where there would be peace and equality between all was a vision that completely dominated how he lived, didn't it? And we can think of other examples, perhaps most notably Martin Luther King, um, the civil rights activist and uh, Baptist minister in America. And uh, in 1963, so about the same time actually, just a few months before Mandela was speaking, he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. Uh, he, he called for civil and economic rights and an end to racism in the States. And he said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live up to its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Of course, men in the old-fashioned sense, meaning people. And he did die for his uh, vision. He did give his life. A few years later, he was assassinated when he was 13, 39. So Mandela and King both had a very, very powerful vision that dominated how they lived their lives. And so I wonder today, what is your vision? What is our vision? At Advent, it's, oh my word, this uh, is falling over. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to cause a fire. <laughs> At Advent, it's traditional uh, for us to look forward to Christ's second coming. And sometimes I think we might feel a little bit anxious when we think about um, these things, partly because we're not entirely sure what we're supposed to believe. Am I right in thinking that? Um, I think that there's a lot of deeply held theories around, aren't there, about, you know, Christ coming then, and we'll have a thousand years of this and a thousand years of that. And <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I want to release us from that anxiety. The question isn't you know exactly what's going to happen when or where Isaiah as we saw was entirely vague about when his vision was going to be fulfilled he was basically saying in God's good time the point really is what do you hope for what do you long for do you have a vision of God's kingdom coming in all its fullness of an end to prejudice and oppression and poverty and sickness. A vision of peace, of all people realizing that God is love and truth, of knowing that Christ came to bring them salvation. What's your vision? I'm going to have a little bit of, get a, give us a little bit of space actually now. And I just encourage you to spend a little bit of time just in prayer by yourselves with the Lord and ask that question, Lord, what is your vision? Can you share that with me? Um, just have a little bit of space. Ask God to give you a fresh desire 
or a fresh revelation or a fresh vision for this world. And then I'll talk a little bit more about what that might be. But first of all, listen to God. We'll just have a couple of minutes to pray. Lord, we pray that you would renew our vision, help us to see more of what our hope in you looks like and to have a desire to see it happen. Amen. So if you were struggling a little bit there to try and grasp hold of a sense of vision and hope... um, there are a few tips I can give you um, from um, the Diocesan Lights for, for Christ um, initiative. Um, they talk about how we can live in the light of, uh, walk in the light of Christ. Um, when we were baptized, if we were baptized, we receive a candle, which is the light of the world. And as Miriam pointed out, the, the light that we light can also mean Christ as the light of the world. And so they suggest, or how do we receive this light? What are the different ways in which we receive this light, this vision of Christ? And one way is praying, seeking God's will, as we have done just now. Another way is participating in the life and worship of the church, as we're doing today. Um, Reading and reflecting on the scriptures, as we're also doing right now. Uh, Receiving communion, which we're not doing today, but we do regularly. And opening our lives to the Holy Spirit. So these are different ways. If you feel like, actually, I need to, I haven't quite got that vision in my heart. How can I encourage it? These are different ways in which we can, we can do that. So let's turn to Romans. And my question here is, how does our vision affect the way we live So Paul's vision here is an urgent one. It's not this is something that's going to happen at some point in the future. This is something that's happening now. He says things like, the hour has already come. Wake up. Our salvation is nearer now. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here It's almost like Paul's saying, you know that vision of Isaiah's, that vision about God being God for all the peoples? It's like he's saying, well, it's happening now. It's happening now. Uh, Tom Wright on this passage, this Romans passage, says, the old world, the present age, is rumbling on. And most people are ordering their lives in accordance with its style and habits. But the new world has already broken in. God's new age has begun. 
and will shortly come to fulfillment. Those who follow Jesus, whose life, death and resurrection inaugurated that new age, are commanded to live already according to the rules of the new world. In other words, this knowledge that a new world has come into being in Jesus Christ and that we're waiting its fulfillment now, that should affect, that does affect how we live. And Paul elaborates on what this might mean in quite specific terms. So he says, let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. You may or may not feel that Paul's addressing you here. Some of you may need to hear his encouragement to avoid drunkenness, debauchery, dissension or jealousy. But whether or not you personally feel convicted by those words, we can all seek to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can all set our minds and our hearts on him rather than the things that in all of us lead us away from God's spirit or even oppose God's spirit. Paul puts it, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So the question is, how do we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ? And again, looking at this material from uh, the Lights for Christ initiative, it's basic things that you will know, but just to repeat them, we walk in the light of Christ by enjoying God's gifts with gratitude. Having an attitude of thankfulness makes such a difference. Trying to live by Jesus' teaching, giving generously, giving and receiving forgiveness, balancing rest and work. All of these things will help us to live in the light of Christ. And then we might go further. We might think about how we love and pray for those we work and live with, how we give to those in need, how we share Jesus with one another, how we challenge injustice and try to bring peace, how we care for God's creation. So all of these are ways in which our lives may be affected by the vision that Jesus gives us. How is your life affected by your hope in Jesus Christ? What difference does it make for you? The answer will be personal to you, but I encourage you to think about it. Think about it now and think about it in the week that is ahead. How is my life right now affected by the vision that God gives us of his hope and his future. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we ask that you would reinvigorate our minds and our hearts, that you would refresh us, where we are wearied by the world. Breathe your spirit upon us again. 
open our eyes to see you again, to see your hope again, and a fresh vision of what it will look like when your kingdom comes in all its fullness. And help us, Lord, as we fix our eyes on you, to walk in your light, to allow all our thoughts and behaviors, words and actions, to be affected by the vision that you give us. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.